On today's episode, we speak with someone who is the public spokesperson for organizations. From government agencies, to campaigns, to global companies, this is who the journalists call. Let's start the week with Matthew Cregan. So, Matthew, mm-hmm. welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to connect. I know um, it's been a, a very rough couple of months um, through COVID and, you know, trying to get the city back in shape. But and I know that has a lot of implications to your particular role, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to connect today and, and make this happen. Yeah, man, I mean, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we have nothing but time. So right. happy to help. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Uh, so let's let's dive right in. Let's tell the world what it is you do for a living. I am the director of communications for a, a city agency in New York that handles urban development. Oh, that's great. How long have you been doing that? I've been here for about uh, three years. Great. Is that what you always wanted to do for a living? Uh, no, actually. I had no idea, you know, what my agency was or what it what it does. And I didn't want to be in PR at all. I actually went to school for uh, journalism. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be like a foreign correspondent and life happened and I found myself here, but I'm actually like to think that I'm really good at what I do and I like what I do. So I'm not really mad about things not going according to plan. Got it. All right. So let's backtrack a little. Tell me a little bit about where were you born? Where you, where's your family from? Where'd you grow up? All of that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from New York. I'm from actually Westchester, New York. So right outside the city. And uh, my family, I'm a first generation American. My family's from, my mother's from Jamaica. And she raised me. She's a single mom. And uh, it was a big deal for us, um, you know, growing up to go to good schools, get good jobs. That was like the main that was the main event. That was like you nothing happened in your life until that happened. So I think actually just recently I was like, oh, wow, like I did that goal achieved. What now? Yeah, you can you can now die peacefully and die with honor. Yeah, right now I could die. Like now in the eyes of like a Jamaican mom, like I could die or get promoted. <laughs> I think I'd rather just pick up a hobby or something. That's great. Okay, so Westchester, um, how was that experience? It was cool. I think a lot of people who aren't from New York or are not familiar with Westchester think Westchester is this like, you know, middle of nowhere and the or like really bougie suburbs. But it's 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 a really diverse place. It's really cool. There, you know, there's Westchester has cities. You know, I went to a school, this city called City of White Plains. That's where I went to high school. And there are tons of different types of people there. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, commute in mm-hmm. into New York City for work, but it's it's big and it's interesting and it's a good place to grow up. Got it. And for those that don't know what White Plains or Westchester is like, um, what are we talking about? Big, tall buildings, single family homes, multifamilies, poor, middle class. What are we talking about? Yeah, it's like it's a really it's diverse in every sense of the word. Like you have, you know, you have a downtown. White Plains has a downtown area with, with big you know, there's a, a couple, there's like two skyscrapers, you know, lots of apartment buildings, also nice, really nice, you know, sprawling estates, people with really nice houses. There's uh, a huge public school system. There's also private schools. So things are, you just have different types of people, but all integrating together, which I find to be cool and unique in the fact that you can have a lot of socioeconomic diversity, racial diversity, um, but everyone's kind of together. It's not as segregated as I've seen in other parts of the country and even sometimes in New York City. Got it. Okay. For you, when you were in high school, was being a journalist, journalist what you already wanted to do or did that come about later? Yeah, I remember I was actually thinking about this the other day. I actually went to an all boys Catholic high school and which was weird, but cool for, you know, uh, many reasons. But I did it for um, a year or two. So, yeah, it was. um I think it's a lot. It's a pretty common thing for kids that grow up like around this area to, to do that. 
but the school was really, it was really um, career focused and it was really you know, about ever getting everyone into college. And at the time, I didn't think that my family could afford college. So I did, wasn't planning on going. I actually was planning on joining the Air Force. So I went to take the ASVAP exam and, you know, I qualified to join this like unit called SEER. It was like a special forces thing. I was all excited about it. And I did it mainly because I was like, if I'm going to go to college, this is the only way to do it. I thought that I could get an education paid for by joining the service. And was, that, was that your primary motivation there? Yeah, it was my, it was the main, my main reason for joining is because I would have a career. I, I know I would have a job and I know that I would be able to go to school with and be able to afford it. Cause I was just like, I'm the youngest of three kids and it was just essentially like, there's no money left. You have to figure it. You have to be creative, you know? But my school, actually, my, my high school, they mandated that everyone apply to college. They're like, we don't care what you're doing. You're all applying to colleges. And I did it through Common App. I didn't think I was going to, I just didn't think I was going to get in. It wasn't a focus. I just wasn't, I thought that if you couldn't pay for it up front, you couldn't go. Mm-hmm. But I, um, how were your grades? Good. I was good at school. I was really good in school. Okay. Um, I actually was, able to in my junior year of high school do like an exchange program where I moved to Spain by myself for a year and lived in Spain and now looking back on it now I was like I, sh- I wish someone told me or I told myself that like you know you're a really interesting candidate to go to a good school so why yeah. would you, you know? hmm. but I came back from Spain and I remember I was like working a lot I had a, when I was in school I worked a couple jobs after school I always had to like take the public bus and I worked at like, you know, clothing stores or like, you know, I worked as a lifeguard. I worked as a dog walker. I worked as a tennis instructor, even though I never played tennis. I was like, working was always part of my thing, but I, um, I filled out the Calvin application applied to just whatever schools I could to apply to for, for like one price, you know? Okay. Yeah. And just like, was like, Oh, what about my dick? I did and, it too. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of just like, Oh, whatever. I'll just apply everywhere. Cause at the time I was thinking, I'll just join the air force. But <laughs> I remember I got home from school one day, and I checked the mail and I got a letter in the mail from Quinnipiac University that said I got this, I was accepted and I got a huge scholarship. I got like $30,000 a year as a scholarship. And I was like, wow. whoa, this is nuts. Like I didn't, even, I didn't even, you know, I just, I didn't even really know what the school was. I just like, I know one of my friends, like older friends, like might've went there or heard about it or saw it on the news or something. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go there. And uh-huh. I told my mom, I was like, mom, I got this, you know, huge scholarship to go to school. And she's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. It's not, it's impossible. Call them. They're pranking you. It was like, <laughs> she, she did not believe me. I was holding, like I told her, I showed her the letter. It was on the letterhead. It was all official. Caribbean mom's not buying it. Yeah. She was like, no, no, you didn't. It's not true. Like, this is not true. So, but she finally believed me. And that's where I ended up going to school. Uh, and I think at that time I knew uh, that I wanted to be a journalist. Do you remember yeah. what sparked that interest? I think it was like. It was just, it was just this, it seemed like the most natural thing for me to do. Like I come from a family where it's like, everyone is just storytellers. And the only way to get information on your like family history, this was before, you know, 13 and me or whatever. I had to like get my uncles drunk and hmm. get them to tell me stories. And I just became a really good interviewer. I was just became really good at talking to people. It was really easy for me to start up conversations with anyone and to write and to speak. And I don't know if it was suggested to me or I thought like, okay, well, this seems like something I could do. Like, it seems like something that's easy. So then I went to what actually sold me on is when I went to Quinnipiac to visit and I went, you know, you could go walk around to see the different schools. And I went to the school of communications to see like what they were all about. And this guy, this professor stood up and he had a, you know, an auditorium full of, um, you know, visiting high school students who were deciding where they wanted to go to school. 
And he was just like, this is welcome to the school of storytelling, because this is just what this is. This is all storytelling. And he was like a filmmaker. He worked for like National Geographic for a long time and lived in South Africa and like wrestled with crocodiles or, you know, he did a bunch of crazy stuff. And okay, and I was like, this sounds cool. Like, I would want to do that. Like, that, yeah, storytelling sounds like me. Sounds like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crocodile wrestling. That sounds like you. It's cool. Yeah. Just like nothing. Everything else. Everyone took them so, so seriously. Like, I didn't know anyone like. I just still don't understand why a 17 year old kid would be like, I want to be an accountant. Like, I, like mm-hmm. how would you know you want to be an accountant at 17? I mean, if you do, good for you, but I just don't see how, yeah. you know, part of it was also like the, when I was going to college, it was the, the middle of the financial crisis and mm. the Obama administration, you know, Obama was just elected and I was watching the news a lot, you know, and you're just like, wow, like these people are in the middle of everything and they're, they're watched, they're in the mix and they can, they seem smart and they, they're, they're all over the world. That so sounds like a cool job. That's awesome. That's pretty cool, though, that you were able to take that away from that experience of watching the news all the time and figuring out what was next for America, what's happening in the world, and figuring, you know what, these people are able to relay information in a way that's digestible and break mm-hmm. it down and tell a story. And I want to do that. So that sounds pretty cool, actually. So you majored in journalism? Yeah, so I went to school, uh, had to pick a major. I tried, decided to pick my major right away because I was mm-hmm. so scared of like wasting this opportunity, right? Because I was there on a scholarship. And as soon as I got to school, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. I'm not going to be one of those guys who, you know, like, and everyone knows some of those people like their freshman year who I'm not knocking because everything works out, right? But I had just had a mm-hmm. pressure. Like I just, I didn't feel like I had the luxury to wait and chill. You know, I just felt like I had to to get my money's worth out of this thing because we were in the, and also it was like going to school at that time was so scary because everyone who was graduating then they were graduating in the middle of a great recession and they had no jobs so the only way to get a job was to be so spectacular or so connected Mm -hmm. i was not connected so i figured i had to be spectacular so i um double majored so i was like you mean i could get i was like i can get two bachelor's degrees for the price of one Mm. you know and they were like yeah i was like okay so i double majored in journalism uh broadcast journalism and spanish you know i was like because I was so caught up on, you know, getting two degrees to the price of one, but I forgot that you had to do also two, all, double the work, you know? <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I actually, similarly, because I went into school and didn't know what I wanted to do, I ended up changing majors somewhere along the way, like freshman, sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And then I double majored, mostly because I looked at the curriculum and I realized I could get two by cross, <laughs> by cross um, yeah. utilizing courses. Like, oh, this mm-hmm. could talk towards both. Huh. Let me do yeah. that. So I ended up majoring with that, uh, with yeah. like marketing and management degree, just because I could. That's awesome, though. So okay, so you did that, and at the time, were you in any programs or internships or anything that helped you differentiate yourself from the crop? Oh, absolutely. So I was in school. I p- picked my double major my first year, and immediately I was by the by my second year, by my sophomore year, I was. That's when I studied abroad in Argentina. And I lived in Argentina for like eight months. And I got a job in Argentina. I um, started running uh, pub crawls in Buenos Aires and leading nice. tours of like a hundred people around the the nightlife. And and it's huge. I mean, it's huge when you're you're working in another country. I was like 19 at the time, and I had to uh, you know go to school during the day at the University of Buenos Aires. It was like this huge, huge school, like 30,000 students. And it's nothing like American college. It's a very like independent organization. Hmm. Um, and it's in a, you know, it's in South America. Like there's, it was just a totally different world, you know, and I just loved it. And that night I was just like 
going to bars, going to clubs, having a great time, but, you know, managing like a group of a hundred people. I was like taking around the city that I wasn't from, but I had to learn really quickly. And I had to, you know, learn how to do business down there and interact with local business owners and collect money and give kickbacks and get people who from all over the world onto like a, a, a big tour bus at night and bring them to a crazy club until four o'clock in the morning and then make sure they're all safe. And so that wasn't, it was an amazing experience. And then I came back just like kind of galvanized, like ready to come back to New York and do my thing. Cause I met so many cool people down there. And one of them was uh, a guy who I'm, st I'm still in touch with a lot of them, but one of them was a, was a journalist for um, Reuters. And I was, at the, I was just like, hey, man, you know, it's really hard to make it in journalism. It's a really, it's a really, really competitive field. And how do you get out of school and get a job? And he was like, you just have to keep, you just have to start working. You, don't have, you can't wait until you have the degree to start, you know, getting experience. So the second I came back, I started interning at CBS radio in New York City, ABC News, CNBC. I was, I was working as a writer for a local newspaper in Connecticut near where I went to school. And I was like so obsessed with setting myself apart from, you know, the rest of my class that I was like, what can I do to make myself more like, it's not enough being like bilingual, it's not enough having two degrees, what do I do? And I got this letter in the mail again from Quinnipiac saying like, hey, you've been accepted to the school of business. If you want to get an MBA, we can give you an MBA. You don't have to take the entrance exam. And I was like, that sounds good. That sounds like it'll set me apart. <laughs> so nice. I did that. So there was a time that I was in school with three majors and, you know, I was, I was pursuing two undergraduate degrees and getting an MBA and commuting to Manhattan to work in ABC news and CNBC. And it was well, because of, is that because the program was able to accelerate so normally when you go for an MBA, it's like a two-year program. So is it because you started during undergrad, you can cut some of that time down? Is that generally what, what exactly. it was? So, you, so you, you layer on the classes in your last year of undergrad. Because theoretically, a lot of people have, like in their last year of undergrad, they just have like a capstone or they have like their, their class, you know, it's not that heavy. Pilates. I, right, they're doing Pilates. I took a boxing class, you know what I mean? So I was like, all right. And they kind of layer it in so you can take the easier classes of your MBA while you're finishing up your undergrad and then you take the harder classes for the following year. So you came back and you immediately jumped into a bunch of internships. You mm -hmm. figured that's going to help you set yourself aside from the crop. And mm -hmm. then you also realize, you know what, what if I just go ahead and get an MBA while I'm here? Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's a way to differentiate yourself right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, was like, let me, I was like, let me just get, it was, I remember I was really like, hmm. um, I was like, because I don't love school either. Like, I, I just went to school because I was like, this is, this is how I can get a job. Like, I'm, not, I'm not the most, you know, I wouldn't say I'm not dumb or anything. I'm just not like you Academic. know, academically, you know, I'm just not the guy who's like, oh, let's like discuss Freud because we feel like it. Like, no, I don't yeah. do that. But, um, but I thought it was like a really, you know, it was a prudent thing for me to do. It was a smart thing to do. And I was like, this is one thing that, you know, if you're going to school for four years, and you're taking classes on like, you know, European history and the history of the, you know, the conquest of North America, or you're taking like writing classes and I know how to speak on camera. I know how to edit video, but I don't know how to do, you know, a spreadsheet. I hadn't had, I didn't have to use an Excel spreadsheet all four years of my undergrad experience. So like, I was like, ah, this actually is pretty smart for me to do to, you know, to diversify myself is like, hmm. You know, for later on, you know, I didn't want to have to go because I, I didn't, I didn't like school. So I was like, my rationale of it was like, do it now, so you won't have to go back and do it later when you're like tired. 
that makes sense. Okay. Tell me about your internship experiences, um, some takeaways, uh, some of the best portions, worst portions, or just overall lessons learned. They were awesome. I think I chose all my internships because I wanted them to differentiate me again, right? I, I wanted, so my first one was in radio. So I had a, an internship working at CBS radio and it was really cool working for them because they, they do news. So it was like, you know, learning how to do local news, making a lot of connections, which served me, you know, later on, like now in my career, I'm mean, running into reporters that I worked with then. And I got to go to, they broadcast all the Yankee games. So I got to be in Yankee stadium, like, you know, every week hanging out with like these iconic, you know, sports broadcasters and just nice. looking in the almanac and giving them, you know, baseball stats and really seeing how it happens on the inside. You know, you kind of just like watch games. You don't really listen. Like, how are they doing that? Like, how do they, you just assume like, oh, they know all this stuff. Like, no, there's like some intern, like, you know, like, oh, it's raining outside. It hasn't rained since uh, on a Saturday at Yankee Stadium since 1954 when, you know, so-and-so did the home run. And, you know, so that's how, you know, you're kind of like oh, that's cool. doing that. So that was cool. And my next internship, I I think I did. I went straight from the radio back up to Connecticut and I was working as a newspaper reporter. So I was going from radio to print and I was doing local news stories and covering like, I remember my one story I thought was ridiculous. I got, like I covered like this teen group at this local high school who were like celebrating purity and they had a prom for like all the virgins and they dressed in white and it was i just was it was just nuts it was like crazy shit and i was like okay let me this is cool you know it was also very local paper stuff yeah just weird stuff and i was like all right i'll go talk to you guys and then i got to cover like the the unroll you know the rolling out of common core i remember i was like i thought i had chops as a journalist when i was interviewing these like these the superintendent of the local schools and they're talking about how they had i remember they're like this is when I learned the word consortium because I, and I still don't know what it means. Like we're starting a consortium to examine what the common core, you know, to roll out the common core in our local schools. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. So um, none of your teachers know how to teach this. None of your kids know how to learn this. What does that mean for all the kids that are graduating from high school now and going to college? Like, aren't their grades going to suffer? Is that going to be horrible? And they were like these, like, and I was like a 20 year old kid, like asking, like, I was like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? And they were, and they like their eyes like popped and their jaws dropped and they were like, they started shaking. They were scared. Like, don't burn us on this. Don't burn us on this. Like, <laughs> like they didn't think about that. I was like, you guys didn't think about that. Like, you know, I'm just over here, just like I'm just interning. Like, what are you? Nice. And I was like, okay, I could do this. And then I, um, I was like, okay, don't stop. That was the summer. And then in the fall, I decided I, you know, I got an internship at ABC News, which was like the best experience ever for me. I loved it. It was so amazing. I met the smartest people ever, the most fun people ever. I was in. I was in the newsroom when Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook shooting happened. I was in the newsroom when the Aurora, Colorado shooting happened. I was in the newsroom when there was like this, you know, it was 2012. So I was, you know, when everyone thought the world was going to end, we did stories about that. When, you know, I got to go interview weird doomsday preppers. I also got to interview a lot of movie stars. We did a segment called Popcorn of Peter Travers, which is still on TV. And I got to interview like Bradley Cooper and uh, David Chase, the guy who made The Sopranos and all these other people. Like every Friday we just, it was like, a new celebrity and then you know all the big breaking news i was on uh, occupy wall street happened it was you know being and being in that environment with like i remember walking to that newsroom and just like walking past barbara walters and diane sawyer and david muir and all these people and then just like the producers who were just like so funny and so smart and so cool and the young reporters who like now are i see them on the today show you know like just really, really cool people who work really, really hard and they were really smart, but they were so funny. They're the best sense of humor. And it just made me feel like, oh, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. These are my people. This is the right career choice for me. I'm in the right place. Wow. 
That's great. And you were living in Westchester, commuting down to Midtown Manhattan doing that? Or? No, I was actually, I got an apartment by my school. So I was living in Connecticut at the time and commuting uh-huh. into the city. And then when that ended, I remember my the executive producer at ABC told me, I was like, you know, what do I do next? It's like, my, it was my, and they knew I got, I was at that time when I was at ABC is when I got accepted into the MBA program. And they were all like, wow, man, you know, they were really supportive of that. And then I was like, well, what do I do next? What should I do for my next semester? And I remember my executive producer, she took me out for lunch and she was like, Matt, like you need to go like enjoy your life. Like you're never going to have this chance again. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like we'll do. And I really did. Like I didn't think about that. You know, I didn't think so much about my career for that moment. And that was a really nice, like, I'm re- that was the best advice I ever got. I think just to like, you're going to work for the rest of your life. Like when you can enjoy yourself, you really have to. And, and this was the the break between once you graduated undergrad and got your MBA? Like the, no, it was, like a between, after? it was a break between my fall and winter semester. Right. So, my, so I was just like, I started my MBA, but then I was like, it didn't make sense to start my MBA and then work again. Because meanwhile, while all this was happening, I was still like waiting tables and like tutoring students at the learning center and like doing all that kind of stuff and bartending at night. Um, this so, was all happening at the same time. So you were working right. internship school, kind of a continuous cycle or sometimes overlapping just yeah. to, to make it through. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Speaks a like lot I, about you. Yeah. It was like, there was no stopping. I remember my, and I went to a school with, it was a really, it was, I mean, it was a predominantly white institution, a lot of upper middle-class people there. Um, it was not, like uh, odd to go to the student parking lot and see, you know, a hundred thousand dollar car park there. Right. And I was not living that life. You know what I mean? And I didn't have, you know, I just, I was working to support, you know, I was working to support myself and pay my rent and do all those things and still go to school. And it was a lot of, I never, like I was so stressed out um, in college. I remember being really, really stressed out, but also having fun, but just like really, I think I was more serious than a lot of, my classmates because I just like didn't have the I didn't have the support system behind me you know yeah and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's important I think you you're really good at what you do I think and I think you make it look easy uh, but I think there's clearly a lot of work that goes into it and there's clearly a lot of experience that has gone into it to now make you feel comfortable enough that it looks easier uh, but I also think if people look at you today, they say, oh, look at Matt. He has it easy. He's been, you know, in his field for a while, whatever. But like, no, there's been a lot of times where like I had to juggle jobs, internship, school, pain of just being out there on my own trying to figure out when some of my friends were, you know, out in super expensive cars and living a whole different life. But like <laughs> you were you had to stay focused. Right. So like, of course, you have fun and you, you know, balance life and do all of that. But there is a, a side that was very, very serious. Yeah, very serious. I think, you know, work hard, play hard is a real like thing that my mom told me. She was like, you know, you got to do your job and and do your homework. And all. I was always the kind of guy who like, you know, I had my schoolwork to do. I had sports after school. I had a job after sports, but I would definitely go throw a huge party on the weekends once my homework and everything was done. You know, I was like not the type to sit or, you know, I'm not the type to sit around or like, I don't know, waste my free time. It sounds weird, but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, so it's funny when I look at my resume now, if I apply to jobs now, I'm like, I'm like, I can't even include all the stuff I was doing. You know, I had to like, you know, that was like, wow. you know, it doesn't count that, you know, when I was, you know, you kind of put your internships and the things that are relevant to your job now. But all, I think all of these positions are relevant. Like being a, a, a waiter at TGI Fridays <laughs> was really relevant when I, you know, it's just like to customer service and and mm-hmm. talking to people and making it, making it to work on time every day. And all these things that you kind of, all these things that I learned along the way because I've been working the whole time that I see people in the in the you know in a full-time job now in like the workplace now in the traditional nine to five arena right now and I'm like how are you still struggling with this concept of getting to work on time every day or yeah. how are you not you know being responsive on time or how are you not whatever because it's kind of these are the things that you learn when the stakes are lower um absolutely and the environment is easier yeah absolutely yeah I learned a lot of that in high school while working jobs like i mean i've been working literally since i was 12 right so when i was when i was a teenager i was working at the statue of liberty and i got to interact with people that were coming from all over the world so that to me was really valuable because i grew up in washington heights and harlem right so like all i knew was black and brown people then you get to statue of liberty and it's like oh people from india china whatever are coming in europe and you're like oh i have to be the, the face right now and interact with these people make them feel welcomed and really have a genuine interaction, right? And like you do, after doing that for a couple of summers, then you realize, oh, okay, this is how you can interact with the rest of the world, not just people right. that look like you. That's um, true, that's true. I think your your job is the first place as a kid where you are, unless you're lucky enough to like work in your own neighborhood, but when you're like serving the general public, if you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't realize that. That's a really good point. Yeah, so, you know, it, it gives you a glimpse into into not only the responsibilities, as you said, but also learning how to talk to different groups of people. And that has kind of always stuck to stuck with me since I was a young kid. Do you remember the first time you ever had to work, like, you know, as a kid, when you the first time you interacted like a really, really rich person, when you realized like, oh, like, oh, damn, like, yeah. um, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. damn, you guys are rich. Like, you, I don't know, like for me, like when I was working, it happened a lot when I was, I was catering, like I used to cater at this big, you know, for for these houses in, 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 in this town in Westchester that was so, so rich um, in college, mm. I would go back and like, and I would literally go cater for a night and make my car payment for the month. You know, that's in college. Wow. I was like my, you know, I remember I was catering. Oh, it was so funny because I was catering and I was, I think I was either in, I was either finishing undergrad or I was in grad school and I went back to do this party and it was an insane like big house and there was like a Rolls Royce in the driveway and it was just, they were, and they were having a backyard barbecue. Like, you know, they would just, it was like no big deal. And, you know, they were just, and I'm like, how are you having people serve you at a barbecue? Yeah. This is so why, why am I catering your barbecue? Yeah, why am I catering your barbecue? It was so crazy. And I got paid a lot of money. I'm like, you know, I got paid like yeah. a lot of money to do that. And I ran into a CNN anchor at the time, which hmm. now she's, she was on CNN at the time, but now she's on the view. And, wow. and I was like, Oh my God, like, are you on CNN? And she was like, yeah. Like, how do you know? And I was like, Oh, like I'm a journalism student. I really want to, you know, this is what I do. I intern here, here and here. And, and I didn't want to make her feel like I was bummed. And I was, I was like, Matt, you're uh, serving like pigs in a blanket yeah. right now. You got to chill out. But also, it's just Absolutely. Like, you know, I just want to let her know. Oh, it was like, you know, I work here. And she's like, oh, do you know so-and-so? She like knew my boss. And I was like, yeah, you know. And she's like, uh, and I think she really, she was really, really nice to me. And mm. she was like really happy that I think she probably grew up the same way too. She was a woman of color. I think she's Dominican. And she was just like. Yeah, I think she, it was like this kind of acknowledgement of like, this is what you have to do to get ahead. Like you're in school and working and all this stuff just so you're in school and working just so you can go to work. Like it was like I had to go I had to go work and work and cater just so I could get the train pass to go into the newsroom and work again. 
Wow. So I could be at the same level as everyone else who could just go to, you know, go to school and then work. But no walking to work. Yeah. Right. And I remember <laughs> it was at another party. I think about this all the time because I was at another party. This is after I graduated undergrad and I was hired at CNBC to be a writer. And I was still doing this other stuff to make money because you just don't get paid enough to like support yourself um, early on as a journalist. It's really hard. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I was talking to some like financial person and they were like, people would ask me all the time, like, what do you actually, what else do you do? Because they, they felt like I was too smart to be a waiter or I was too, they were like, oh, what, do you, what else do you do? Like, how, how do you know how to talk about all this stuff? And I was like, oh, actually like, you know, I write for, you know, a news organization, whatever. And this one lady goes, what qualifies you? How, what qualifies you to do that? And I was like, uh, the fact that I'm doing it. Like, I, I just, I remember, I never forgot that because she just looked mm. at me and was just like, there's no way someone like you could be someone like that. Interesting. That is, yeah. that is a, you see, and it's those types of interactions that you remember years later mm-hmm. because you then connected dots. Like there was a lot of underlying things in that one statement. Yeah. But here we are, right? And it's like, yes, I was doing it then because I felt like I could be doing it and I've continued to do it because you have not given up and have not allowed statements like that to deter you from it. I mean, since I've known you, you've always been like a very motivated and focused person. Um, so it's, it's good to hear that that has been kind of somewhat consistent uh, for, the, for the better part of your, of your life and career. You spoke earlier about going away and you went away twice and lived abroad. Uh, three times. Me, three times. So you yeah. tell me I about went. what was the third? I, I, I heard Spain, Buenos Aires, and what else? Oh, and I went to Spain in high school and in undergrad, I went to, to Argentina. And in my grad school, I went to Hong Kong and Beijing. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, tell me about one, why do you keep going away? <laughs> two, <laughs> two, what, do you, what are some of kind of the big takeaways from those, right? Because I think each of those experiences can bring a new perspective to life that you may not have had before leaving. And I'm just curious to see if, if any of those have kind of shaped who you are today. Uh, I mean, going away, studying abroad, traveling has totally shaped uh, the person that I am today. I think you don't have, it's almost like, I, th- I think it's the same way that the way sports kind of puts your mind to the test and your body to the test and teaches you how to deal with teamwork and winning and losing. Like those are huge things that I think everyone has to learn. Going away by yourself to a foreign country at a young age will teach you how to win and how to lose like big time and like in your spirit you know what i mean like there were days i went to a regular public high school in spain and lived in a house where no one spoke english and it's a totally different environment going to high school in europe is nothing like going to high school in america there's no like and in a way you kind of look at it like wow like our education system is pretty shitty like this is insane you know we focus a lot high school in america is a lot about it's about culture it's about a lot of times about your sports team or prom and all these things that we associate with high school over there. They don't have it there. Like you go to school just so you can learn. And then that's what it's for. You go, there's, it's not like a, and they would ask me questions and where they'd be like, Matthew, like, wow, like, did you really go to prom? And I'm like, yeah. Do you really have a car? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Do you have a jacket with a letter on it? I was like, no, I'm not that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> what am I? What am I? AC Slater? Yeah. What are you, come on. <laughs> I have a sweater vest. I went to Catholic school. Come on. So I, um, I, it was really hard. I mean, it's, it was cool, but it was also really hard. Like I had a, I really loved the whole experience of being over there and like being able to go to nightclubs at 16 and party till four o'clock in the morning. And all my friends were 
college students. Uh, one of my best friends, who's still one of my best friends to this day, is a guy named Leo. He's from Germany. And he, you kind of meet, like when you're in like this like study abroad world, when you're really young, you meet people who just do that all the time as part of their education. And one of my roommates was there, his name is Leo, and he he learned English by living, right before he moved to Spain, he was living in uh, Australia for a long time. So he spoke, he was a German who spoke English with this like New Zealand or Australian accent, but still German and super fun guy. And we, I remember we were like, all right, bought a calendar and we decided like, we're gonna be fluent, 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 like fluent in like Spain, Spanish and like Castilian Spanish by this date we circled the day and forgot about it. And the day came up and let's say we were, we probably weren't, but let's say we were. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, nailed it. Like I remember, like I failed like all my classes there because it was just so hard. There was no like English as a second language. There was no like resources for someone there who wasn't from there. And I think that's also a thing where like, okay, even though like our education system isn't like the, the the curriculum wasn't as rigorous, but I think it was much more accommodating. I saw in America it was like more accommodating to people who were from other places, and in spain it was much less accommodating they were like either you're gonna either you know it or you don't know it and it's Got your it. job to figure it out hmm. and at the time i was like all right well i'm not gonna go to school all the time i spent a lot of time like just in supermarkets like or just walking around people um, watching in supermarkets is that what you're doing just people just like kind of like just like i just want to like walk around or just like be out in the city as opposed to being in the classroom where like in the classroom i didn't understand anything i was like this is insane like how am i gonna do and they were talking about like this concepts in like math that like like you know like how to do like a matrix and how to like do all these things where i'm like i don't know how to this, i don't even know how to do this in english i'm not gonna i don't know how to like catch <laughs> up in spanish and then you know find the circumference of like this cone like i don't know what this means so i decided to like do i was like i'm here to learn but if i can't learn in the classroom i'm gonna learn it anyway i just had to get to a point where i had to learn and i felt like it was really hard when you were it's weird when you when you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people a bunch of your peers and a teacher and everyone is like treating you like an idiot and i knew i wasn't an idiot but i just didn't understand and that's like such a frustrating feeling and i remember getting like these migraines being so tired because you're like working overtime and like trying to like make it happen and you're just trying to like it's really when you don't speak the language you don't have any personality like i prided myself on being like this like charismatic guy a funny guy always being able to talk to people but you can't be funny if you don't know the language. Like you can't be funny if no one understands you. You know what I mean? You can't be, you can't mm. make friends. You can't have any of the stuff if you can't communicate. So, you know, I learned, you know, eventually I got there and I remember at the end of the, the year in Spain, I like gave a speech when I, like I was like enough there. And then there was one teacher who was really nice to me. And then she was like, Matt, can you get up and talk to us? I think everyone, I think, I want you to talk about your experience here because we never really heard you speak. And the kids here think that she essentially was like, everyone kind of thinks that you're dumb, but I know you're not dumb <laughs> because she's like, but I can tell. Cause I think they spoke to like, the, I, they also put me in an English class. So I was like, Oh, that's great. Like whatever. So I, I took an English class and that's the one class I excelled at. I was like, eh. <laughs> like learning the language of English. Yeah. They put me in an English class. The way people oh. like we take Spanish class or French class, they have yeah. like, Oh, put Matt in English. And I was like, okay. Curve the grades. Great. I, I remember I only did good in English and religion because everything's basically this, you know, like, and it was a religion. It's like, it's the same story. Okay. Like I can translate that. Like I know what happens. 
Yeah. And with your Catholic school background. Right. Yeah. With my Catholic school background and, you know, growing up in New York, I knew how to speak English and say the Hail Mary. And both nice. So. But anyway, the teacher made me stand up and say, like, what, you know, can you just talk to us about your experience here and what that was like? And I essentially just did like a, a stand up routine. And like, I remember I had the whole class like crying and laughter. And like, it was like really cathartic for me to be like, you guys are so ridiculous. Like, I don't understand what this stuff means, but it doesn't mean I'm dumb. And like, you guys don't understand how to show up places on time. And I was just like telling the difference between like, you know, being American and being Spanish. And they were just like, wow, you know, it was so funny. And then still talk to my classmates from that school in Spain. Like, you know, they live, a couple of them live like in Paris, a couple of, you know, they live all over the place and we still keep in touch on WhatsApp and stuff. And, but that was made me feel like, I remember feeling like a failure the whole time that I couldn't do anything. And then I felt like, okay, this is a victory for me that like, that was a success that like I was able to finally communicate and like, describe to everyone how shitty they were nice (laughs) that 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 was your capstone that was it that was my capstone nice all right so let's fast track uh let's go let's go to what happens after college uh did you come out become a journalist and now you're an anchor oh not at all oh my god i was working as a reporter and i was waiting tables at this really fancy country club and i just finished my mba i think one class left my mba and my house burned down then i lost everything and it was devastating. I had, I, it was like, I was like almost there. Oh, and I got a job writing for the Atlantic magazine. I remember it was like that week. And someone like left a burner on or something in my apartment building. And my house burned down. And it was the craziest thing that happened because, so I was working at, I was working at night bartending and i came home it was like dark and it was alone and i was like ah somebody just told me to get out of just to get out of my apartment it was like ah you just need to get out you're not ready yet you're not ready to be home just go out just go out just go out so i went out and i was out for like 45 minutes an hour like maybe like grab a drink with a friend or something and i came back and uh i remember when i came back i was on the phone and i looked out my back window and it was like really really bright and i saw I was like, oh, it looks like there was a really big floodlight out there. I was like, what is this light? Like, this is crazy. What is this big light out there? And I looked out and I looked at my patio and I looked up and my roof was like engulfed in flames. The roof was on fire. You know what I mean? It was like, and that pun was not lost to me then at the time. I remember like thinking like, oh, the roof is on fire. Ha ha. Say that for later, <laughs> Matt. Cause I didn't think, you know, I'm thinking it wasn't that, it wasn't that serious. So I, I kind of was just like, all right. So I walked out, I just ran outside and I had a dog and I brought my dog and I went outside and I was waiting for everyone to come out with me, uh, all my neighbors, and no one, no one came out. And I was like, this is weird. It's like a minute or two went by. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And also, there's no fire alarm going off. This is weird, too. Like, I was like, oh, man. Everyone's asleep. It's like 2 in the morning. Wow. You're the only one that's awake. So I went back inside, got my credit card and my passport. I got my wallet my passport and everything. Just the stuff that I knew I needed because like, I was like, oh, you're not going to come back into this apartment tonight. This is not good. And I just rang everyone's doorbell and how many uh, apartments are we talking about? It was a garden style apartment, the three doors and three floors. So two, so two, four, six, it was like 12 units. And yeah, it was like, I woke everyone up and they came out one by one and they, they thought I was pranking them. They were like, what's this is, you know, people, they're not useless. And I was like, you know, bang on the intercoms, like the fire, it's on buildings on fire. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. 
And um, when you're asleep, like the thing with being in a fire like late at night, if you're asleep, the smoke will kill you. Like you'll just die. Like, you won't know. And so everyone was able to get out, and except for this one woman, who was an elderly woman who was on the top floor, and she kicked out. She was like, like kicked out her window, and she's like, "Help me! Help me! Help me!" She's like this ninety woman, ninety year old woman in a like a nightgown. And I don't know why. I just was like jumped in, and I like jumped down, and I was like, <laughs> "Come down here! I got you! I'll catch you!" And <laughs> like. And I got like one of my neighbors, I was like, get down here. We have to catch this woman. Like he was like a, like a Marine or something. He was a bigger guy than I was like me alone. Not so much, but me and this guy together, we could do it. And we caught her. And that turned it into this big like news story where my friends who worked at the local news station, Channel 8 in New Haven, called me and they're like, wow, man. Like, you know, I, they interviewed me and like the news trucks came up and like local man saves old woman who jumps out of window. It was, you know, like that kind of thing. And, like, man, like, wow. Like, you made my morning news roundup. That's so cool. Thank you so much. I had nothing to put on TV until you saved that woman. Like, as if it was like my, that's what I was there to do. And I was like, uh, bitch, I'm homeless. Like I have, like, this is all I have. And that like, that moment, it was almost like for the longest time I was building up and I was from when I was 18, like doing all this stuff, adding all this extra work. And that changed like everything. It was almost like I was, I was happy that when I look back on like the good thing I was able to, at least like I saved a couple of lives, you know, or at least I was able to help people. But it was like my, I lost my computer, I lost my assignments, I lost everything. And it showed me, A, how ruthless some people can be. I remember my, some of my classmates, we had like a final due, and I was like, hey guys, I can't do this final. As you might have seen on the news, my apartment building burned down, um, but I saved an old lady's life. And they were like, well, you can do this assignment at the library. And I was like, I have soot on my face. It was just me and my dog. and um, you know, we went with the red, like the Red Cross and I stayed in a hotel and it was insane. Like it was just like, a, and at the time, like my family, I had just recently come out and my boyfriend at the time who I since married, he was in actually the, the funniest thing is he was in Belize building houses on like a missions trip while my house was burning down. And, but my family as like some kind of like punishment didn't like want to help me. You know what I mean? It was like a very like old school kind of thing. Like this is your lifestyle, you can do it on your own. But eventually, I was able to iron things out with them and went to my mom's house and I had, you know, I was out of work for a while. I was, I couldn't like, it was like, I went through this really traumatic time. I had nothing, like I had nothing to, I couldn't even go on a job interview because I had no clothes. Like I had no, I had nothing. And um, bit by bit, I started to like, kind of like build myself back up. And I remember feeling like it was like, so I felt like such a failure. Like I just felt like so just terrible after that happened and didn't, I just didn't know what to do. And eventually I got a job with actually from a girl I used to cater tables with as like a recruiter for this company uh, for like a recruit, you know, I was like an agency that did recruitment and I absolutely hated it. It was the worst experience of my life. I hated it. It was horrible. It was like the worst ever. I was like underpaid. I was worked to the bone. They were like, so it was just not what I wanted to do. It was like a really vicious work environment. It was just not a good place. I made like great friends there. I'm still friends with the people that I met there, but I just, it was like every day of my life, just this is not what I want to do. This is not where I am. This is not my thing. You know what I mean? It was just so bad. It was like so excruciating. And when I got out of there, I somehow like had to put myself back in this mindset of like, Matt, what you have to do is like 
tell the story to get yourself back to where you need to be. And I found a job at Columbia University doing like community affairs for them. And I don't know how I got that job, to tell the truth. I think they hired me because I like was local. I don't know how they, I made no sense to me how they, I got that job, but I got that job and it was probably the best thing that happened to me to bring my career back to where it needed to be. Because you um, met me? Because I met you, end of list. Like that's it. But it was, but it was like a really like, the, it was like so amazing to be like, okay, I'm at Columbia. Like it just sounds, I was like, this, it makes sense. Okay, I'm doing community affairs. That's kind of like public affairs. It's kind of like public relations. Maybe I can do that. And from there, I ended up getting, I was there for like a year. And um, it was clear to me that like, I didn't want to stay there for a long time. But I was able to position myself to do things on that job that were going to lead me into my next job. And the coolest part about, I think every job that I have, I always try to meet, I always try to get, I don't know, like make friends and get advice from people who, you know, especially when you're young in your career, it's a really important thing to do is to like learn from everyone. And one woman who I became friends with, she was just like, every job is a stepping stone to the next job. Like you're not done, like just go. So I made the job. Um, I would take on assignments that would sound good in an interview for a job that I wanted to do. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I did. And then I ended up getting a job doing what I wanted. So from Columbia was your next job where you are now? Yeah. So I got a job as a deputy press secretary for the city. And sounds it, was really, it, was very, it sounds very fancy. Um, and I remember I, when I was leaving Columbia, <laughs> when I was leaving Columbia, one of the higher ups in my department, I told them where I was going, where I was doing and, you know, what I would be tasked with, you know, communicating all this stuff. And she was like, that sounds really hard. And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the point. Like most jobs that are worthwhile are pretty hard. Like most jobs that pay well or that are, you know, that's hard. And they were, and she was just like, yeah, I don't know why you'd ever do that. I know like basically like, why would you ever do hard work? And I was like, I got it. Thank God I'm leaving this place. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that I came to, to where I am now and it was like, but she did not lie. It was the hardest, it was probably the hardest thing I had to do professionally to like, cause I wasn't, cause my mind too, my mind was made up. Like I was just not gonna sit or I was like, I felt like I had so much wasted time for everything that happened uh, to me in my career. I just needed to get back to where I needed to be. It's like where I deserve to be. So I was like, I'm not going to sit around and kind of like coast. I'm not going to sit around and, you know, let outside forces dictate where I'm going to be. I'm going to do everything in my power to get to where I need to be and to get ahead. So I went in there, like, just like, like, when I look back on it, like aggressive AF, you know what I mean? Just not with people. Like I was really like nice to everyone and made a lot of friends and loved that you loved the environment of the people who I was with, but I was determined to be like the best at what I did there, you know, just to make myself indispensable in terms of what I could do, what I could offer. I was just not going to be like sitting around and not getting ahead. So that's what I did. And I got promoted, you know, pretty quickly and started leading the team and, was able to accomplish some really cool stuff. And I think I really was able to transform a lot of like their public relations. You know, they weren't able, they didn't have like connections with, you know, you know, reporters that they have now. They didn't have, you know, the kind of strategy that we kind of maybe take for granted now. Like a lot of that wasn't in place at this environment. I think that was my little two cents to add to like the, the broader, you know, agency's mission, but also it was a lot of hard work. You know, it was like a lot of, it was hard work. Which is great because a few things you said there, right? Like one, you mentioned 
taking advice from people and being able to connect with folks that had been further along in their careers and learn from their mistakes, get some feedback, get some advice, but also realizing when you need to filter some of that out, right? Like there were folks that were telling you, ah, that's going to be hard work. Like, why are you going to do that? Or what makes you qualified to do this, right? So, you know, there are times when you're seeking advice and you're probably not getting the type of response or motivation that would be helpful, but nonetheless, you still seek guidance and mentorship, which I think is very important, right? And two, I think that also speaks to your ability to build relationships because that has transformed not only in you making these relationships to get some of this advice, but also, as you said, going into this agency and now building relationships with reporters and being intentional around strategy and being intentional around um, how to not be reactive all the time, which, you know, working at a city agency myself, I know that that can sometimes be the case, but, you know, being more forward looking. So I think that's, that's really important for people to hear that you can take your life experiences and adapt that to your current role. Yeah, I think that's what makes you also authentic too, right? Because people can really smell bullshit. They can tell when you're lying to them. They can tell when you're kind of operating. It's like, I, I mean, me personally, I hate when I feel like I'm being sweet talked or something, you know, and when you do like what we do, you're in a room with a lot of political operatives or people who think that they're in the West Wing or, you know, all this stuff. And I kind of, I always kind of bring myself down to earth. I always try to bring myself back down to earth when things get too crazy or when people's heads get too big. It's like, dude, this is like a, this is a town hall. This is town. This is that we're in a town and we are doing simple things and we're public servants and we have to do what's right for the public. Uh, like, it's like your ego isn't really a part of it. You know, because we are literally no one, like we don't matter. You know, it's just, we're, we're just, we're literally servants. And we're, that's the name, we're public servants. People can really sense when you're being disingenuous and when you're maybe using them as a means to an end. And that's not, no one likes to feel that way. And it's not cool. You know, it's like, I think the best thing people can do is just be authentic. Like if, if you want to do something, don't pretend like you don't, you know, if you want to get a job, don't pretend like you don't, don't pretend like that's not what you're doing when you're trying to talk to someone. You know, if you're reaching out to someone for the, because you want a referral to go into their organization, reach out to them, say, hey, I want to get a referral to your organization. Don't like pretend to be friends and say, oh, by the way, you know, it's like, because then they, yeah. people feel that. And it's like, oh, that's not cool. You know? Absolutely. Hmm. I think you, I, that's like something that I, I don't think I do. I mean, it's something that I just, I feel like you just, the, the best thing you could do is just like, is just be natural. And like my partner told me really good advice when I was, before I started working for the city is just like, people are really passionate about what they do. It's like all they do. It's, it's, it's a really hard, a lot of times they're, they're underpaid. They did, it's like a lot of thankless jobs. And if you could be interested in what they do and be genuinely interested and listen to what they have to say, they'll really appreciate that. And especially if you're starting in a new place, it doesn't just go for any, like the city, it goes for any company. Like if you're starting in a new place and you're learning and you're new, uh, the best way to, to get on board and the best way to, to know things and to learn things and to get connected is to like really listen to what the people there have to say. Listen to what their experiences were. What, are, what is their job? What do they do? Hmm. Who do they work with? How does this all work? What do you, you know, and a, it's going to help you be better at what you know you do because you're going to be part of that fun- that organization. And B, it's going to help you just make friends. And it's really important to make friends everywhere you are because it's like being at work is just like being at school. You know, like it's easier when you have people around you that you like. Absolutely. So let's explain to folks that may not be as familiar. Wh- what does a day in your job look like or a week in your job look like when you walk in on Monday? What do you do? Like before the 
COVID-19 pandemic hit? Yes, uh, a, a Monday in February. <laughs> a Monday, and it's an, a cold Monday in February. I would walk into work. I mean, I, I'm working from probably right at, as soon as I wake up. It's kind of like a 24-7 job, but I wake up, emails are starting probably 8 a.m., you know, and I get in the office between 9 and 9.30. I'm doing my email, you know, I'm writing emails, I'm making calls all the way until I get into the office. On my way into the office, I'm reading all the news roundups. You know, I have to read, I have to make sure that I know all the news, everything that's going on before I step in foot into my office because today's news is already, that's my job to know like what's going on. And, and I have to assess like, okay, this is what's going on in the news today. It's what everyone's talking about. This is what's on Twitter. How, what does that have to do with me? Is that is something going to come up? Is that anything directly related to my agency, directly related to the work that I do? If so, flag it talk about it, what, what's our response to it? If not, are there opportunities for us to be spoken about in a positive way? If someone's talking about like, oh, you know, this is going on in, you know, something's going on in Queens, like, are we doing anything cool in Queens? You know, latch onto that, talk to that, call that reporter on the phone, say, hey, have you heard about this cool thing we're doing? So that's kind of all the morning. My morning is basically just like digesting information, responding to people and strategizing like how we can either respond or be proactive. And then we get in and a lot of, and it's just like, meetings getting in hearing what's on the schedule for the whole team for the day raising if there are any flags to know like does this uh you know local elected official is upset about this thing are they happy about this thing do we need was there an actual you know was there a fire somewhere is there an emergency somewhere what do we need to be aware of a physical and fire literal fires yes got it <laughs> like you know things that matter you know so it's just like in a city like this it's just like a really dynamic city things are always happening and you have to be able to know like what's happening in your circles, your, you know, in your corner of the world, but also what else is happening in the broader city that's not necessarily involved with you and that, not, that you don't really control, but it's going to influence you in some way. And I think that's a really important thing to know to, to pay attention to when you're working in like these kinds of jobs, doing communications in general is to not only pay attention to what you're doing or what's happening in your industry, but what's happening in the broader world as well, because um, we're operating, we don't, you know, we don't operate in a vacuum. So, yeah, I mean, but the cool part is like every day is different. I can't say like it's like every Tuesday I do this or Wednesday I do that. It's, it's all depends on kind of like what's going on. Like if it's if it's something crazy, some like big announcement, some, you know, event has put together. We're working to put that together, you know, writing a lot of emails on phone calls. OK, no, that's helpful. I think it's important for us to get just some more color as to kind of what what it is your job entails in case someone's hearing this and saying, you know, I want to be director of communications at an agency and, you know, getting a glimpse of what that actually looks like is, is really important. Right. Because I think at least when I was younger, I didn't know that that was a role. No. Or, yeah. No one knows that's a job. Like it's, exactly. not a, it's not a job people think of like that people do. Yeah. And then when you find out what people like do who do these jobs, it's like, what? Someone does that. You know, it kind of is a little, scary i don't know it's kind of like how like i was like oh where does it you know like where does information come from like where do you you know i don't know yeah absolutely because when you read a story and they say you know i spoke to a spokesperson at whatever you are the spokesperson that they're, yeah. that they're referring to and yeah. like that's that's pretty cool but like you don't think of that as a role somewhere or at least i didn't for a long time right so now it's like okay you are the person on the other end so you're not the journalist that you set out to be when you were 17 18 yeah. but now you're on the other end managing a lot of these relationships with a lot of these journalists and giving them the information they need while representing your agency in the best light. Yeah. I'm not the journalist. I'm the person that the journalist calls to get the information for their story, which, 
when I was younger, I probably thought like, you know, when you think of, oh, spokesman for this place, you probably think like, it's the guy who was working on the thing that they're talking about. Like, no, it's not. It's not. That's not that guy. It's yeah. just a guy who really, his whole job is to talk it's to Google words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Any highlights in your role that, that you think are worth noting or any, any memorable moments that, you, that you're really proud of? Or the type of impact that you feel like you're having so far? Yeah, I think it's just like, I remember when I got there, it was like literally everything that we're doing. I'm not going to say this myself. I'll say what someone else said to me to make it more. So I'll attribute it to them. So it's not like I'm just making this up myself. Someone actually told me this. The head of the organization, uh, the former head of the organization when they were leaving, um, I went to them for advice. I was like, hey, what do you, you know, I just, you know, thank you for your time here. What do you think? Basically, like, what do you think I should be doing with my career? And they were like, Matt, you're extremely talented, which is really hard to find in a communications person. Like you're really smart and talented, which it was like, oh, wow, like this is okay. But she said, we would never have been able to do the things that we've done without you. And the next thing that you should do, you should be leading a team. You know, they went from going from kind of like a passive reactionary department to a strategic and more impactful department, meaning like, we were doing press conferences with the attorney general. We were doing things, you know, things that they were just weren't doing before. And that I felt like was a big feat to get like real feedback saying like, we couldn't have done, we were not doing what we were doing before you got here. That's like, that feels real to me. That's awesome. Okay. Are there any books or resources that you feel have had a big impact on your career or on your life that you think the world should, should go check out? I mean, you got to read the news every day. Like you have to read the news every single day and not like the news that you think is cute and the news that you think you like, like literally just the local news and the world news, just what is going on in the world today. Like anyone who lives in a place where they don't have to drive to work, like if you're taking a subway, a bus, a train, whatever, use that time to just digest what is happening in the world. Because that is, those news articles, they're the ones that get turned into books, right? Like those, this is, you need to know what's current events. And I think a lot of enough people aren't really paying attention to what's happening in their own cities and their own countries. It's, you, you gotta, it's like more than just the sports pages, more than just that other stuff. Because even if COVID has taught us anything, you won't know, like you really need to know, like you need to find out what's going on. Because if you're not paying attention to the news, like you just are watching what the governor says on his morning briefings like you just won't know like you don't know when when alternate side parking is you don't know when to move your car you know now it's one day a week i see no, people i see people moving their cars today i'm like you know it's until thursday man what's wrong with you? you should read the news <laughs> got it okay so that's that's a really good point because i feel like that helps not only in a communications role but in any role in life right? or just as yeah. a local citizen like you just need to understand what's happening and what that means in terms of implications for you in the near term and in the and in the long term, right? Right. I think people gotta just whether you're working, it's not even about like whatever job you have, to be well informed is gonna help you in meetings, in regular conversations, in just all walks of your life. So just so that I understand, just so if someone's looking at you now and saying, you know, this is a role that seems great, but I just don't know what's next from there. Right. So you spoke to this person who was the head of your organization at one point and they said, you know, you should be leading a communications team at some point for you. 
having this role now that you are already leading a team, what does that mean for the future, right? So not what roles are you applying to, but what roles could you be qualified for given your experience now? Yeah, I mean, now I can do like any external affairs role for a big organization, I think, or a government relations role. You know, every organization, big companies, they have to deal with government, they have to deal with the media. And the interesting thing about that is most people don't know how that either of those things work. That makes a lot of sense, right? So you can go to pretty much any sector, right? And lead an external facing department that has to talk to local elected officials, has to talk to the media, has to talk to communities because you have experience kind of in all of those areas, right? Yeah. And I can also, you know, handle crisis communications, which I think is the one thing that scares a lot of people, um, which is probably the most fun thing to do in the world. Like when something bad happens, like if if your company does something bad, like, oh no, what do we do? It's like, you got to figure that out. That's what we, you know, so I can do things like that too. Is that where your nights and weekends calls come in? Yeah. Like, the, yeah, people, you know, I've been on like, you know, date night or whatever, and my nights will be cut short because there's a big, uh, literally a, a fire will break out and people are on scene and a bunch of people are without their homes and what do they do? And to get a little sappy about it, like I always care about those kinds of stories because obviously that happened, that exact thing happened to me, but it's insane. I remember the first time I, I was in the office by myself and this like fatal, this like, it was like a historic fire broke out in the Bronx and then all these people died and it was really tragic and it was horrible. And I'm getting calls from like the Washington post and the Associated press and CNN. And they're calling me to be like, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? We heard that, you know, this door should have closed. This door didn't close. What do you, you know? And I had to become like an expert on fire safety real quick. And then five minutes later, I get a call from my mom being like, why am I reading your name in the Washington post? You know? So those are those are crazy moments that like, you know, you realize you don't realize when you're 18 that like, oh, I want to do that. But I'm like, oh, now I'm like, oh, OK, I want to do this now. This is cool. Awesome. OK, this is this is very helpful for people that are either starting out their careers and trying to figure out what that looks like or folks that are looking to pivot and make a change in their careers um, or just folks that just want to generally understand kind of how all of these roles come together. I think part of it for me is making sure that we expose a lot of these roles so that folks know that these opportunities are out there and that there are humans working really hard to to make all of this happen on behalf of organizations, the city, whatever it is. Yeah, I think the biggest advice I have to all like young people, especially coming out of college, especially at a time like this when there's so much uncertainty, is just like, you know, plan for the best and work really hard and just be a good person, be a nice person. But, you know, you have to be flexible in terms of what you can do and what you you're willing to do because, you know, life is, it'll take you anywhere. And I think the, honestly, the coolest jobs are probably the ones you're like, what, someone does that? Like who people do that? Oh, okay. You know, I know I recognize you and I recorded an episode and then shortly thereafter you went off to do like a bunch of other good things. And I'm like, (laughs) we can't release this without an update of what's going on. So figure we have to jump. Yeah, we have to jump back in and, and let the people know what happens. So earlier in the episode, you were talking about HPD and work at the city and kind of your experiences there. Tell me what happened over the last few months since, since we had a, a conversation. 
I'll tell you what happened. This your podcast changed my life. It, it, it made me get my stuff, my life together, and go out and do more stuff. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what it was. Pivotal moment, right there. We should just cap it there. That's it. That's that's like the end boom. Of, that's just that's just if, the long and short of it is that. Nice. But so I'm. I'm dive in. Yeah, let's let's get a little more details. But I'm glad we did that. Sure, I'll take full credit for it. Honestly. Yeah, man. I um. I was I was like ready for a change and like you know putting my myself out there a lot and then um, an opportunity presented itself to go work for the Biden campaign and I was actually like at like a Labor Day barbecue and I got a call from the communications director down there um, asking if I would want to come down and be the deputy comms director in Georgia and I was like what I was like hey yes I'll do it and then B like what am I doing. And they let me know that, you know, Georgia is, he, is really going to be a swing state this year. It's, and you know, it never really was back in the day. It was, it was always like consumed, you know, considered just like, it's Republican. It's not going to happen. You're not going to hard, you know, we're, you know we're, we're, we'll try hard down there, but it's just, you know, the assumption was that it just wasn't going to be, be in play. But they said, you know, this year it's going to be, this year Georgia's going to matter. Yeah. You know, cut to November, it really, really did. It was insane how often Georgia was in the press and, and, how many, all eyes were on Georgia towards the end of the election, which was, you know, historic and um, it was just amazing to work on. But when I was down there. Which was when? What timing? I went down there in September and stayed through election day. After election day, I came back to New York and I was home for like a day or two and I got a call being like, oh, hey, can you come back down? Actually, there's going to be a recount. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, fine. So <laughs> back to Georgia to do it again. And we won again. And then there was another recount. You know, we won like three times. I think we won like three or four times in Georgia. Who knows? And they asked me actually to like, they asked me again, they're like, oh, do you want to do the Senate runoffs? So I was like, guys, I don't have it in me. I can't do it. I got to go home. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So, so walk me through this. So in September, you get this call, but you're already employed by the city of New York. So how do you, how do you, how are you able to just leave your job and go and do this? Or how were how you able to do this? Well, I called my, you know, I, I thought about it and um, called my boss and, and told my boss I had a really good, and me and my boss had a great relationship. I uh, still do. You know, sir, I said, you know, I got this really good opportunity. Um, what do you think? And she's like, absolutely, you have to take it. Like, whatever we can do to help you do that. And I said, well, you know, if it's all clear, because I work for the government, I had to get it cleared by, like, you know, the Conflict of Interest Board and to make sure there was no, you know, um, issues there. So, you know, they cleared it. And because, you know, in COVID, like, I had a ton of vacation time. I wasn't going on vacation. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. I'm not taking time off. Um, and I just really, I'm not the kind of person to take a bunch of vacation anyway. I kind of just, you know, I had a bunch of time, had a lot of time saved up. So I was able to take vacation from my full-time job to go down and do the campaign where I was hired to go down and be there. And so I didn't have to like quit my job to do that. Cause as we know, campaigns don't they end, you know? So um, I didn't want to be in a position, especially with the economy the way it was, and you know, you don't know what's going to happen in an election. I didn't want to be in a position to be like worse off once I did this thing. So um, I was able to take leave, and I had like exactly enough leave to make it through the election. I think I had like two two months or over two months of um, vacation time saved up. So um, and it's going to be. So I was able to go down, you know, still get paid, and it was a nice little bonus that I was able to get paid by the campaign as well. So it wasn't like I was, you know, struggling to get through that. So that was great. And you know, uprooting your life and going, you know, I'm, you know, live in New York City, going down to Georgia, a place I've never been. You know, it's, it's it can be, you know, there's a cost with that, right? Flying down, going there, finding find places to stay, living, like you know, renting a car, or going all over the state. It was like a true blessing that I was able to kind of 
do that. And, you know, since I came back, actually people have asked me because, you know, in New York City now there's a, there's a mayoral race, you know, going on and the election's heating up and people want to get involved with that. If you have enough vacation time, you know, save it up, use it, do something, double dip. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of campaigns usually rely on volunteers, but you were actually able to get paid for this. So what exactly were you doing that they needed a paying role there? Oh, yeah. So I was a campaign staffer, right? So that's a real job. I, um, I was working uh, a lot. So, you know, I wasn't paid as much as my normal job. You know, it's kind of it's not like you, you don't go to campaigns to like make it, you know, make money wise. Yeah. So I was the deputy director of communications, which and, and I was in charge of spearheading a communication strategy around um, encouraging voter turnout with like key coalitions like like uh, Latinos and and um, African-Americans and Asian-Americans and LGBTQ plus community. So I was, it was a huge, and that was really what won the election down there was, um, you know, getting the key voter turnout on those and like, you know, these, these diverse populations that were historically like left out. So it was a very, there was a lot of work to do down there. So I had, you know, it was a small team of us and we, you know, worked every morning from like 7 a.m. all the way to like 1 a.m seven days a week, going out there, doing press conferences, connecting with, you know, people in the community, you know, activists and advocates and, you know, getting celebrity spokespeople to come and, and encourage people to go out and, and vote. And that we found out at the end, every single vote counted. So that was, it was really cool to be able to go down there and do something that um, you saw your work playing out in real time. And it was, you know, you know, the proof is in the pudding that like, yeah, like that, everything we did kind of, and all the work that was done before us, like all the work for years that was done in Georgia, uh, culminated in actually making people come and vote and vote by themselves. That's awesome. That's a very, I mean, of a lot of campaigns over the years, you know, I think this is a, this is one that really mattered, of course. You know, I think the, the last, the last few elections have been pivotal. And I think getting a swing state like Georgia um, really also helps shape the future of voting in that state, right? And in the United States, right? So it's it absolutely, you can see the proof and you can see the evidence already. So hopefully that continues to, to have a, a lasting impact. And as you said, it's, you know, years of people working down there, uh, but also certainly people that came in and did some of the last push to make sure we got, a, we got over the hurdle like yourself is just extremely important. So thank you for that, first of all. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean it's, it's, it was a huge, you know, the, the, like the passion of the people who are working on these campaigns and, the, and everything they're doing and the caliber of the people is just like so amazing. I mean, the coolest part to me about working on a campaign as like a, I was already, you know, I'm already a communications professional in that sense. And I was, you know, have experience in working, but it's like, you can get complacent. You can kind of rest in your habits. You know, your connections, you kind of know your universe. It's easy. It's, you know, you can kind of get into your own kind of groove, but you know, it really is like boot camp. You know, you it, it kind of it's a jolt to the system, and it's a whole new environment, and it's really intense. And you meet tons of people from all over the place. It's like a, it's a real nexus of like people from you know all over the country coming together to like you know reach this common goal. It really just like expands your network and really makes you learn some new skills and just really hustle hard, which is good. I mean, it's it, there's you know sometimes it just sucks being in it because you know, you're working so hard. But I would you know I definitely recommend like at least trying it once or if, if you know it's or getting the most out of it if you have the opportunity so I, i'm glad that i did it especially in a in times when it's a global pandemic right and you are 
concerned about your own health and the health of your family. And like, you're still, you know, you asked not what your country could do for you, but what you could do for your country in the middle of all of that. And you went down there and, and got it done. Thankfully stayed safe and were able to come back. Um, so you came back, came back to your job and now you've been there and you will continue to be there for the rest of your life and live happily ever after or what happened? <laughs> so I came back and I think I came back with a new set of eyes of like, you know, I kind of looking at myself like, oh, wow, this is like what I'm, you know, you, you kind of like look at yourself in a different way of like, wow, this is what I'm capable of doing. I'm capable of like working in this way and, and kind of just like, you know, I kind of grew a, a little bit, grew out of, I, I was ready for new opportunities. So I came back. And when I was finishing the campaign, I actually got a call from the New York City Mayor's Office to come and, and do uh, press work there. And they were like, you know, for as long as you can come. And I think they, they and I think they knew that like, okay, this guy's gonna go, right? Like he, there's other things happening now. But I went back and I went to the mayor's office and, and was there for a little bit, but I told them, I was like, you know, I, of course, like I'll go back, you know, New York is in a state of crisis. Like this is the thing we have to do It's like a public servant. Like, you know, it's like an all hands, hands on deck kind of thing, right? Like COVID is just really kind of upended everything and and the city as we knew it is just not the same. So in that sense, I feel like, yeah, you know, you have a duty to kind of help out wherever you can and however you can. And the city is doing a lot of great work to try to create stability for for people and residents and, and, and kind of get back on track. But I was there for a little bit, uh, but I was looking at my next step. And I saw an opportunity that I was really interested in at the uh, Ford Foundation. And um, that kind of process went along pretty quickly. And I was only back at the city for like a month and I was given like this, this new job. And I kind of was like, okay, I have to do this. This is amazing. It's an amazing opportunity. And a whole new atmosphere, a whole new place. So I um, jumped at it and joined. Um, and now I'm fresh at this new job which is amazing you know it's like a whole different um environment it's a it's a it's a really it's a global organization with a lot of opportunity and a lot of um ability for for growth for me so i think it was definitely when i look back at like the decision to go on the campaign go back to the mayors do all these things and work you know work so hard to do it i'm glad i did it because it now put me in a different space where I was able to choose where do I want to go, like what's best for me, where, what kind of life do I want to have, what kind of work do I want to do, and, and kind of be in the driver's seat in that decision. And I'm really happy with the decision that I made and really fortunate that, um, you know, the opportunity was right, you know. And, yeah. yeah. So what is your title there and what are you actually doing or charged with doing? I know you've only been there a little while, so what you're actually doing is kind of hard to quantify, but what you yeah. are theoretically charged with doing. Yeah, so it's a new role, right? So it's, I'm the press officer, uh, so I am in, in the position to do real media relations for this organization. And they have offices around the world and they do our, have their hand in so many different things. So there's a huge potential to kind of grow the footprint in the media for the organization and uh, the, the philanthropy space and like, you know, they're a real leader there and kind of just and just get out there and get their work out there more and, and talk about it. And, and they're looked at as a, as, a, as, a, as a legacy organization. So I'm kind of excited to get started and do that. So it's, it's, it's more of like it's what I was doing before just on a, on a, on a, in a different arena on a bigger scale. So it's, mm. it's, su it's super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So because part of it is, I'm sure, you know, the organization puts in a lot of money and a lot of efforts to do programs. So you naturally want to make sure that you are able to, you know, get credit for that. Right. In the public. But also it's 
spreading awareness of the great programs and initiatives that you're supporting. So some of it is we're putting a lot of money behind this. So we need press so that people are able to go out and take advantage of it and not just something that just exists. And it's hard to get, you know, grassroots word out always. So you also need people in the press to go out there and, um, and help spread the word. So it sounds like it's both not only to, to be proactive and get the organization in, in good standing in, in the public, but also for the purpose of the programmatic efforts being being recognized and being taken advantage of. Does that sound right? Or Yeah, no, I think it's like you have all these people doing such great work. You know, they're funding these nonprofits around the world who, you know, are chipping away at, you know, systemic racism, who are fighting for equity, who are, um, you know, um, trying to dismantle these, you know, really these systems that kind of keep people down, right? So they're really putting their money behind these organizations. They're doing the work on the ground to make, you know, people's lives better. But no one will know that that's happening or no one will be aware of these issues and, and or how insidious these, these things are, you know, the, the things that they're fighting without, you know, if people don't talk about it, you know? So I'm kind of the conduit between the work that the organization is doing and, um, you know, the, the, the public at large to see like, hey, this is, these are the issues that are going on in the world. These are the people making the change. Um, and this is how we're doing it. And the foundation is, you know, I'm only there for a little bit, but I can see that they're very thoughtful about like how they approach this, how they're empowering people to, to you know, do this work. I'm super proud to be a part of it. You know, it's it's a great thing. It's a, it's 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 a real, you know, it's a privilege to be a part of an organization that's doing things like this and being able to talk about it. It's you know, it's good. It's just good. Yeah. So from September 2020. To January 2021, you were able to go from doing things that were just residing within the five boroughs to doing things in Georgia that impacted on a national scale to now working for a global organization. Yeah. Is that is that what I'm hearing? That within like four months, you're now you went from like micro city level things to like global <laughs> things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. Well played, Matt Cregan. Well played. Yeah, yeah Mr. Pitbull the whole time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's just great. So looking back over the last four months, how do you feel about the the transitions that you were able to make? I feel good. I think, you know, good to have you always have to have a strategy in your mind of like what do you want to do and how you want to do it, right? So if then my strategy was get experience that is like unshakable, right? That people can't no one can take your experience away from you. No one can take your education away from you. You know, get things that are concrete and get a concrete base in something that is just inarguable, right? So I think I was at the place where I did that, right? So I had some, you know, some big, you know, crises under my belt that I can point to and say, hey, I handled X, Y, and Z. I had some good stories that I, you know, pitched. I had some, you know, wins that I could point to. I was at a place for enough years where people knew me and had a reputation of being like this type of person, being a good worker. So I was able to create a base for myself that was you know, that was a foundation, you know, that that wasn't flaky. And then, you know, I, from there, I think when you're able to do that, you can take a risk and you could say, hey, I want to, I want to grow. I want to, because you have to grow, right? And growing is risky. Change is hard. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. But it is, you know, when you're ready for it, it's the best thing for you. And I think, you know, I knew that I was ready, right? I was like growing out of my shoes. And so it was like painful to be in a place where, you know, you, you're not growing anymore. And I had to grow. I wasn't at the point in my life where I was like ready to coast. And I was like, oh, this can be it for the next 20, 30. Like, no, like, that's not where I was. So, you know, I took the risk and I went to on the campaign and you, and you just, the, 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 the nature of campaigns are like, you're fighting really hard to win, but you know, you don't know if you're going to win. You don't know if that's 
going to happen. It's not a done deal. You don't know what's going to happen when it's done. But if you do a good enough job and you kind of make the most of that experience and you know that going in, then you'll hopefully come out of it with more than you went into it with, whether that be connections, a job, experience. You know, you want to make sure you leave that time with a poor reason, you know. So that's what I did. I went into it thinking, okay, what am I going to get out of this? I wanted to just learn. I wanted to meet people. I wanted to be better at my job. I wanted to also, you know, and on a real level, it sounds kind of corny, but like I wanted to win because I want. I thought this was so important. I really was like, you know, if it was not maybe it was another, it was another candidate, if it was another election. I'd be like, ah, I don't know. I'm like, I'll put my life to go do this. But I was like, I can't do this anymore. I couldn't do a Trump. I couldn't live in the Trump administration. Where I, was like, I can't do this. Like I have to. This is what I have to do. I can't just you know you can't just like write Facebook statuses and, and do whatever. It was kind of like a call to action of, okay, this is my opportunity. This is my calling. This is what my skill set is to help. What this is, I'm gonna go down there and do it. Like because there's, it was just my it was my duty in a sense like if i ha- i have to so i was like well if i'm going to do this i have to be able to come out of it with something you know for my you know i have to go into it in a smart way and thankfully you know i did and thankfully we won and it was we worked really hard and i could point to the whole time like you know we did you know x y and z to get Biden elected, you know, we turned this amount of voter voter turnout. We did these stories, these op eds. We worked with these people. You know, the, we were able to show the whole time through metrics and anecdotes of like this is how we did the work, and this is how we succeeded. And these were our challenges, and this is how we worked around them. This is how we, you know, this is how we dealt with them. And that experience for a few months was intense. And and we came out with. All of us, we had a great team of people, really smart, really hardworking people. We worked together um, to achieve something and we really helped each other to do that. So I was able to come out of that experience just with, hey, I did X, Y, and Z. My foundation that I built on, there was more on top of that now. You know, it made me even more of a valuable, I would say a more attractive employee, you know, for another job saying, I can do this, this, and this, and this is what I can offer to you. And with that knowing like, hey, this now I'm able to choose where do I want to direct these skills? Do I want to do it in a, at a company, at a government? You know, where do I want to be? And I really felt like I wanted to work in a place where I felt good about what, what I was doing. You know, work in an organization where I, you know, agreed with their values that I wanted to be, you know, be in a place where you're proud of because you're, as a PR person, you're a mouthpiece for an organization. And it's just, you know, a real privilege to be able to speak on behalf of an organization that you are aligned with, that you agree with their values, you agree with what they're doing. And so I made a conscious choice to like work for those types of places when I was looking for a job after something. And that's where I landed. So I feel really lucky about it. It's good when things great. work out. <laughs> this, it's going to work out. It's going to be great. Is there anything else we haven't discussed that you think the listeners should take from your story or learn about Mac Green? No, I mean, I think it's about like just working hard, working with a purpose, you know, for yourself and, and keeping integrity in, in what you do. So, because people see you, people see the way you work and those people who see you, whether you know it or not, might be giving you the opportunity to do your next thing. You got to keep good relationships with everyone and treat everyone with respect because you never know who's going to be the one to help you out. And it's not always who you think, right? You shouldn't know what you sound about, like pleasing the people above you. You got to be a good teammate to people, you know, who are beside you and the people behind you, you have to give them a hand when they need it because 
you know, life is long and the world is small. So you have to kind of just be good to everyone around you because people remember when you're not 